Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster from the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster from the firm Echelon Insights. And each week, we're going to bring you all the polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. We're so excited to have Charlie Cook with us, who has been a Washington... I guess institution since as long as I've been here uh, with the Cook Political Report. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Charlie. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we wanted to ask you a little bit for our listeners who may not know that what it means to be a handicapper. There are really, there are lots of people pretend to know what's going to go on in all of the races around the country, but there are only a handful of people who are professional handicappers. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means and, and how you figure, how you do it? Well, most of the people that watch elections, um, House and elections, governor's races, whatever, uh, most are coming out from one side or the other. And so they clearly want something to happen. And, and some of them are more clear eyed, can look at things more objectively than others. And then a lot in terms of political reporters, um, you know, quite a few of them may or may not be that, that, that sophisticated in terms of, of, you know, watching campaigns for a long time, understanding what makes them tick able to read polls. Uh, I find very few political reporters are any good really at reading polls. Um, so that it's, it's somebody that really focuses really on, you know, the granular level, which is what uh, our team does. David Wasserman, Wasserman in the house and Jennifer Duffy in Senate and governor's races. And, you know, I used to do all of that and do some of it now, but they're the ones that are watching individual races that closely but able to sit down, meet with candidates, talk to campaigns, talk off the record with consultants, and and really um, not playing gotcha, but just trying to figure out what is going on in a race and why, who's likely to win and why, what are the key dynamics. And, you know, there were people that were doing it, uh, you know, long before Stu Rothenberg and I, you know, came along, and they'll be, you know, long after we're gone. But, it's it's something that's been around for, you know, 40, 50 years, uh, at least in terms of people doing specialized uh, newsletters and things, watching watching races. But, um, you know, we have a lot of fun with it and wrong occasionally and write a lot. 
One of the big trends in the last couple of years has been this whole data journalism wave where, uh, you know, using the polls and aggregating the polls and building models of what the polls say is, is, is a big, you know, way that people like to try to predict how a race might break. But your approach is both kind of quantitative and qualitative, you know, talking to people on the ground, you know, assessing the dynamics of the race beyond just aggregating polls together. And, and I think there's a lot of value to that. I mean, what do you think is the advantage of the approach that you take that sort of merges a lot of different pieces of information rather than just averaging polls? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Nate Silver. I think Nate does a terrific mm-hmm. job and I, I read what he does very closely. I think he's a, he's a very, very smart guy. He's intellectually honest. I think he's got a great toolkit and, um, and brings a lot to the table. And, and I think the folks at Upshot at the New York times who sort of tried or replaced uh, Nate when Nate took 538 elsewhere. Um, I think they're very good as well. I think some of the other modelers, frankly, I, I, um, um, I don't think are as good, and there's you know a couple that I read for amusement only, but <laughs> but in terms of 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 the of Nate and the Times folks, I think they do a, a really 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 good job. But I liken it, it, it to to Moneyball, and there's not a team in Major League Baseball that doesn't now hire um, statisticians, uh, people doing sabermetrics. Uh, but at the same time, there's not one that's fired all their scouts too. And I think what we do at the Cook Political Report, what Stu Rothenberg does, what uh, Larry Sabato and his terrific team down at UVA, um, is we're coming at it more from the more from the standpoint of the old-fashioned scouts uh, sitting on the bleachers with a speed gun. But but we but I think we watch the quantitative um, as well. But but we're we're really more more old style. But I think the really smart baseball teams employ both, and and frankly, um, I watch I watch what the quants are doing very carefully because uh, you know a lot of times what they're doing is measuring they're measuring fundamentals, well, and then- I, I think fundamentals matter. So um, I think there's merit to both when effectively done. And, and either approach can be complete trash if it's not that well done. That's very true. Well, and there's also other stuff that's quantitative, but not necessarily polls. I mean, you can watch things like fundraising numbers and how much money people are spending on the air and things like that to also give you a sense of how a race might go. Or the Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're watching lots, lots of things go into the, um, go into the mix and, and, you know, we, we try to take a, a, a holistic approach to it. Um, and, and, um, um, and it's worked well, but, um, our team and, and, and Stu and Nathan at the, um, uh, Rothenberg Gonzalez political report, you know, uh, meet with candidates, uh, they're coming through and we've been doing them for, uh, been doing candidate interviews for, you know, I guess the start of the newsletter in 1984, we started doing the first year and, you know, I think, uh, um, uh, President Obama was the first candidate, uh, first president of the United States to have first come through, uh, our doors as a, as a Senate candidate. Um, and, um, uh, but it's, it's, that, it's a certain value to sort of sitting across the table, spending an hour talking to somebody, kind of taking their measure. Um, although there, there is a downside. If you meet with a candidate too early in the process, 
You know, our mothers were right. First impressions are lasting ones. And when you meet with a candidate, it can be very helpful. But if you meet with one too early in the process, uh, you can form a lasting impression that doesn't have a lot of give for candidate improvement along the way. But, oh, yes, we're watching, you know, lots and lots of things. We, in fact, we started uh, Elizabeth Wilner, who worked with us a long time ago, and the first, actually the only person in the history of the newsletter to have been our house editor and a Senate editor at different times. But anyway, she's, uh, works at Can- she heads Cantar Media CMAG, but she actually sort of watches time buying and watches the whole advertising and providing metrics to us for, for that as well. So we're looking at a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, it's a real rite of passage. And just for our listeners, for, and when I've worked on the candidate side, folks come into town, they get nervous about meeting with the handicappers, which, as you said, is, is your shop and Stu Rothenberg's shop. Um, and then they patiently await there or maybe impatiently await for a rating. They're going to be given a ranking, whether their race is a toss up or it leans Democratic or leans Republican uh, or likely or uh, Democrat Republican or safe or simply not rated. Like it's just not, it's not even part of the ball game. So really just the top tier swing races are the ones that you guys spend a lot of time um, looking at. And it's something that for a lot of candidates is one of their first real tests when they come to Washington to quote unquote make the rounds. And part of that piece is polling. So what happens during those meetings and and folks present a poll? Do they try, how do they try to present their data? And sometimes are they trying to make it seem like they have stronger results than they do? Can you sense that they're nervous? I mean, how do you tell what's a good poll and what's spin and what's a not good poll? Well, first, when when the candidates come through, it's usually not poll oriented because usually it's trying to take the measure of the candidate. And, and we, um, you know, spend time, get them to tell their life story, um, walking them through some issues, talking about the campaign. And, and we, you know, pretty much do all that on background basis. And there may be some discussion of polling, but generally not, not so much then. That's more taking the measure of the candidate. Um, in terms of, of looking at polling data and evaluating for campaigns, uh, there are a lot of things go into it. I, I've actually been tempted to uh, to put together a, a one-page worksheet and to, whenever I get a poll memo, uh, to sit down and fill out the worksheet and then look and see what's not there. Because usually in terms of the key pieces of information, if it's not in the poll memo, there's a reason why it's not. Because they didn't want to tell you, and generally because it wasn't good. But it's a, you, you're you're um, you know you some of the some of the um, some of the pollsters, particularly back in the in the way back period, they got very creative, and they would do these great memos that made you think that someone was a lot. And then when you went back and looked at it very closely to see what exactly did they tell us, and there were huge and very germane pieces of information that they would leave out, and. Uh, that, that, but it was always kind of kind of fun. But you know, unfortunately, with polls, well, today people seem to look at polls as a commodity, and that one is as good as the other. Which um, I know I don't believe that, and I think most of the folks, I think the people on our team doesn't view that. That um, a poll is not like a work of art where you just stand and look at it and instinctively say, wow, that's a great poll or 
what a piece of shit. Um, that, that's, you know, I mean, sometimes because you can our see iTunes that. are clean rating. <laughs> yeah, sometimes okay. you could. Sometimes you could <laughs> see that. Awesome. Yeah, or you could. Yeah, you could dub, go and fix that. But anyway, sometimes you can. But a lot of t- you know, first of all, reputation matters, and there are pollsters who um, you just. They, you've you've dealt with them for a long time. You just know that other than the you know one in twenty where anybody could be off, uh, where they're very very good and they're trustworthy, and you know they're not going to burn you, and you know their methodology is sound. And then there are other pollsters that that quite frankly you've had a bad track record with or a mixed track record. And you look at those very, very closely. And then you just sort of walk through, does this make sense? Um, and all, all the normal things about the, you know, the sampling, the interviewing, um, you know, nowadays, obviously, uh, what proportion were done by, uh, cells, uh, cell calls, that sort of thing. Um, but, but, but we're also, you know, one of the things that we do is, um, you know, I'd say there's more polling data that we can't report and don't report than we do in the sense of of where we'll, we're happy to talk to a campaign or talk to a pollster on background and just and, and walk through and not report the numbers. But if it helps us to sort of to uh, to get a good fix for what's going on in a race, happy to do that. And and and. Um, uh, you know, in the Louisiana governor's race, um, um, I don't usually do individual races, but since Louisiana is my home state, uh, uh, Jennifer kind of pretty much des- deferred to me. But, um, um, you know, I'd be talking to people on both sides pretty constantly uh, and, and, and getting um, impressions of what the polling data is or, or during the 2012 in the general election. Um, you know, there's usually there's a candidate, there's at least one and sometimes a team of, of candidate of pollsters for each campaign. Then there's one or more uh, pollsters for the super PAC. Uh, sometimes there are multiple super PACs that have pollsters. Um, there are part, you know, other pollsters for other entities that are in there. And so it's a matter of in a state or a presidential race or whatever, sort of triangulating is looking at. Uh, a number, you know, quite a few polls from different directions, and some of, and some of them you can't, you you can't report the numbers, um, and and get a sense for where the race is. So, you know, there's kind of there's the it's the it's it's uh, it, there's the art and there's the science. Right. I mean, we've had we've had Chuck Todd on and we've had Neil Newhouse on and they both said the horse race is one. And we've said this, too. Without them, this is you know one of the least important questions to figure out what's going on in a race. What else do you look at besides the head to head or the horse race in a, in a poll? Well, obviously, um, we'll take job approval, although you have to, you know, what was a, a, a lousy job approval rating 20 years ago is, is probably a pretty fair one now. Right. Because there aren't a lot of incumbents with good job rates, but you know what's the ratio of of of, uh, of um, strongly approved to strongly disapproved? Um, you know what percentage of all the people of of the uh, can rate? What percentage of those are favorable? Um, you know we we always like to look at the party breakdowns to see whether 
the party breakdown in a in a poll, whether it matches up with what we've seen in the past and what what makes some sense. Um, you know, it, it's it's um, uh, you know, you obviously have to be careful with the kinds of questions that 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 sort of testing arguments and things, but it can be very helpful. I mean, I remember when we first started seeing uh seeing the um probing questions testing the strengths and weaknesses of candidates um you know it re- sort of came of age back around 78 79 80 where um even if it's your side you would throw the kitchen sink at a candidate and then do a second trial heat and look at and see how you know how it may have shifted the vote and and how much it shifted and and who it shifted with um you know that's been with us for 35 years now um so you know you just sort of uh, look at a lot of i've only had one time in my entire career where i had a pollster sit me down in his office with a three-inch binder and on background say, look at anything you want with every single crosstab. That's only happened once, and it was to make a case that another candidate in their primary couldn't possibly win a general election, which turned out to be right. So what did you look at? <laughs> uh, you don't have to tell us the name. I just want to well, know like, what the, the crosstabs you were testing. looking for. I don't want to get into detail about who, but I can tell you it was 1994. And they were testing some pieces of opposition research that had largely not come out yet, but that tested what would happen if, you know, it came out that a candidate had X, Y, or Z. Um, And you just looked at that and said, holy mackerel, Uh, without even knowing what, this is early in the cycle, Without even knowing what 1994 was going to be like, you could look at it and say, "This son of a gun is not going to win a general election." But this isn't happening, and and I couldn't use any of that. But I could say, you know, so and so would is thought to have it would be thought to have a very very difficult time winning a general election. And um, and actually, I'll tell you, finish the story since we're on that time constraint. Uh, a friend of mine was playing golf many years later with this uh, this one candidate, and the candidate said uh, was teeing up a ball, and he said, "Whenever I, whenever I want to hit a really long drive, I look at the ball and I imagine Charlie Cook's head." <laughs> and uh, my friend knew the story, but didn't relate uh, what the candidate didn't know. But um, you know, and he's, I don't, you know. Guy's supposed to be actually a pretty good guy, but I can't, you know. Was he a good oh golfer? Well. <laughs> I think he actually. I think he. I, th- I think he may have been, but um, you know, that's 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 our job is not to be loved, but just to try to just to be right. Charlie, I want to get your take on another big thing that's that's kind of a, a growing fad in the world of, of campaigns and data, and that's all of this sort of really sophisticated targeting based on modeling. Uh, just this week in the Washington Post on the front page is a whole story about how Ted Cruz's campaign is using psychological profiles of voters to target people. And 
uh, I don't want to speak for Margie, but I am somebody who's a, a fan of exploring this stuff, but also pretty humble about what it can and can't do. I don't actually think that Ted Cruz is ahead in the polls because of sophisticated targeting with psychological profiles. Um, but I'm sure well, you get you get approached by a lot of campaigns who have like the latest, fanciest. We're using this fun data gizmo, and this is going to help us win. How do you assess that sort of thing when you're handicapping a race? Well, I, I don't, I don't think that's why Ted Cruz is ahead at all. But I do think, um, and 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 there's a long history to people having the latest, greatest bell and whistle that turns out to be overrated. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, um, from from what I can tell with conversations, they ha- they do in fact have a very, very, very sophisticated operation. I would say of all the Republican campaigns, if you were going to say which one is most in the spirit of uh, Obama 08 and Obama 12, I would say absolutely it's the Cruz campaign. I've had several of the other campaigns say that they would agree with with that assessment. Uh, Now, is it as good as it's made out to be? And can you use some variation of the Myers-Briggs test, personality test and all that? Um, you know, maybe, maybe not. I was trading emails earlier today with a, uh, uh, a friend who is a psychiatrist, but also involved in politics and, and was, he was, he was a little skeptical about how much you could do, but hey, you're not trying to come up with a diagnosis. You're just trying to come up with the best, better angle to, uh, to reach specific voters by, by figuring out what makes those voters tick. But um, I, I think that what is going to be called polling five, ten years from now will only incorporate part of that will be what, what we have traditionally called as polling. Because as far as I'm concerned, and if I wasn't doing what I do for a living, I would probably be a pollster, and if not that, a lobbyist. But, but um I, I personally believe that the very, very best pollsters in the business now, whether it's Democrat, Republican, media, independent, that they are not as good as they were or their peers were 20, 30 years ago. And I just think that telemarketers have just screwed it up for everybody so that getting people to pick up the phone, getting them to complete an interview, getting a good sample – um, and, and, you know, forget the cell business, just, just getting completions is so hard that I think that, 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 um, there's going to be a lot of improvising and there's going to, uh, 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 over the next five, 10 years and other pieces, other metrics going in, um, into the mix and secret sauce and that, um, uh, the days of, um, the days of just sort of of taking a fairly straightforward poll, I think, is pretty much over. I I got in the business um, in the late '70s, just as personal interviews, face to face interviews were 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 going out of fashion, and telephone telephone service had become pretty much universal, and telephone interviewing was taking was taking hold back in the late '70s and early '80s, but. Um, you know, we're now at sort of the next transition point from uh, from the one from telephone to personal interviews. Um, but, you know, they've got to do it differently because traditional live interviewing isn't working as well as it used to. And 
I still think IVRs, are, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's useless anymore. We used to think it was useless, but I think it's gotten better, but I think it's still flawed and I don't think online is there. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the only thing, one of the only things I can point to and say that the state of the art has actually gone backwards in the last 20, 30 years. Well, so that leads me to my next question. If all polling went away, would your job as handicapper be easier or harder? Oh, it'd be a lot more interesting. Actually, it would probably be more valuable. I mean, the thing is, I started my newsletter before the Internet existed uh, in 1984. And and I could say that in some ways, you know, what, what we do, what people like us do, was more valuable even before there was an internet because people, you know, there weren't many people in Washington that, that were looking at things in all 50 States. Um, we used to, uh, I can remember in the, in the late eighties, we used to subscribe to something called the CQ clipping service. And that, uh, during during election years, we would get, three times a week, a stack of legal size Xerox or photocopies of inch, inch and a half, two inches thick that uh, the folks at Congressional Quarterly were clipping. I think it was 90, 90 something, a hundred newspapers every day and sorting for political clips, uh, uh, House, Senate, governor, presidential, state party matters. And you would get it in alphabetical order and get a care package. It was twice a week during off years and three times a week. And I think the only, I think the most they ever had were 15 subscribers and we were paying many thousands of dollars a year to get it. But I tell you what, um, I think we got it. Each of the three networks got it. AFL CIO, um, BIPAC business industry political action committee. I mean, there weren't many subscribers to that and, and hell, that was great. Uh, cause, um, you know, you, you, you didn't have a, mo- a monopoly, but you had, there was a small oligopoly on political information in those days. So one last question, uh, one piece we saw that you wrote in the last week, uh, was about the, it was in the final print edition of National Journal. So if you could tell us a little bit about National Journal, the print edition, as well as the political media behemoth, there are a lot of other things going on at National Journal. Um, talk about that for listeners who are outside the beltway, as it were. Sure. Um, you had, um, National Journal was a very strange publication, and 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 I'm thinking of for the for most of the heyday, it was you know close to two thousand dollars a year for a weekly slick magazine on politics and policy, and its subscribers were um, members of Congress and their top staffs, key executive branch officials, um, lobbyists, corporations, trade associations, unions, their lobbyists think tanks um and um and 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 the idea was what is a lot more in depth than you're going to get in any other publication and we're um national journal most of the most of the people back in the in the the heyday were were experts in their respective fields whether it was energy or healthcare or, or agriculture whatever and they were either experts or they were journalists that had followed a subject so closely and so long 
that for all intents and purposes, they were experts and that when people even in that field, when you'd write a piece, they'd look and they'd want to read it because they knew that was uh, uh, more sophisticated than anything, any other, anything else you were going to find in journalism. But, you know, the era of the weekly print, uh, we, you know, printed magazine, um, you can't keep up with um, information uh, as to high velocity. It's, it's moving too quickly. And, um, you know, it kind of got left by the wayside. But also, I think um, what people are looking for, um, they're not looking for the why as much. They're not looking for some of the more serious analytical kind um, pieces about policy issues um, that they used to. And um, it, it's, um, you know, I think we're, we're getting to a point where way too many people have the attention spans of fruit flies and don't really, they want, they want things to be pre, you know, to be uh, chewed up and digested uh, for them rather than, pulling in a lot of raw raw and highly refined information um it's it's uh it was a sad it was sad writing the last piece uh, national journal was founded in 1969 and um had a good 46 year run but um um it, it also says something about how journalism has changed where now you know a form of a a, a form of media is actually preparing Power and disseminating PowerPoint presentations and PowerPoint slides, because for a lot of public affairs people, that's how they communicate with their clients, members, bosses, whatever. And so, if you can make them look smarter in what they do, then that's 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 now a part of journalism. So, the whole world has changed, and um, you know, not sure it's necessarily improving that much, but it's changing and. Uh, even for those of us in our 60s, we have to change with it. Yeah, I mean, the other flip side is that National Journal is evolving as a brand. I mean, they, you know, they have a podcast, which I listen to, which is really good and in-depth if you want real insider info of what's going on in 2016. They have a lot of events. They have a really, you know, there's a lot going on on their website. So um, their partnership with, obviously, Atlantic Media. So that, the other way to look at it is print across the board, regardless of, the subject area is struggles, but National Journal's found a way to to stay to keep evolving as the climate evolves. No, you're ab- absolutely absolutely right. And um, but it was it was um, um, you know had um, um, well I would say mixed because it wasn't mixed. It was a fairly uh, it was bothersome to write a, la- a column you know a farewell column in the last issue of something that I started reading when I was in high school so um, as a debater thankfully there was a local library that could afford National Journal in those days but, wait we have to talk uh, about this you were a high school debater yes oh my goodness Captain Shreve High School Shreveport Louisiana oh my goodness as a fellow high school debater this like as soon as you said that my eyes lit up and Margie kind of looked at me like oh no here we go <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, my partner at the time, Gary Jackson, uh, it was our junior year, so it was 1970-71, and the uh, the topic that year had to do with air and or water pollution. Actually, it was air and water, and they changed the topic a couple months into the school year. Oh. Um, and um, um, he was researching and found this magazine called National Journal, 
and found an article that had some really, really good stuff or uh, good, 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 good quotes. And uh, that's the first time I ever heard a national journal. And uh, but yeah, high school debate was a terrific, terrific preparation. I, th- I don't. I think it's very different now than it was then. But back in those days, in terms of learning how to research, learning to analyze, learning to present and and also that looking at a subject for the entire school year and be ready on a you know a few minutes notice to argue either the affirmative or the negative side and it it gave at least for me it gave me appreciation that there are two sides to every question and that truth justice and the american way is generally not exclusively on one side and it was actually great preparation for sort of looking at things from a bipartisan way and trying to to analyze. So, uh, oh, high school, I, I, I don't know what I'd be doing right now if it wasn't for high school debate. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fabulous. But, but I guess if I just say one last thought, uh, is, is, um, that I, I do bemoan, um, a, a, uh, dumbing down of polling and this commodity, uh, it becoming a commodity. Cause I do think that there are, some polls that are a lot better than others, and some uh, there's some that I hardly even look at. I mean, I, I quite frankly, what you remember a couple of years ago, there was one entity that was releasing polls in many, many, many states and key races, and it turned out they weren't making calls at all. They were just making this stuff up. Right. And and there's some, and, and you know, some of this is a lot more in depth uh, than others, and. Some, you know, where you just look at the questionnaire and you could tell that it has been carefully constructed and well put together. And some, it's like, really? Did you really do that? Wow. Um, so, anyway. So I guess I'm getting more curmudgeonly in my old age. No, no, this is this is a common refrain. This is the undercurrent of our show, basically. Yep. <laughs> you have you have found uh, like-minded individuals here in yeah, the yeah. Well, the thing is, in, in in my world, you you grow to admire and appreciate people, professionals that are really, really, really good at what they do. Um, and, 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 and both of you are, both of you are clearly in that category and then look at others and say, crap, I wish you were doing something else for a living. Cause you sure are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are people that actually think you know what you're doing. <laughs> wow. So, so anyway. if you're not afraid of the answer, you can go up to Charlie Cook and say, should I be doing this for a living or should I be doing well, something else? Well, I'm, <laughs> Well, I'm not. I'm not at a brand building part of my career anymore. So, I... <laughs> um, so if people wanted to find out more about uh, you or the Cook Political Report, where should people go? They could go to cookpolitical.com, and we put um, a lot of the macro, uh, or virtually all the macro stuff, and and a, and a little bit of the, the 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 narrative analysis of individual races is behind a paywall, but. We put a whole lot that's in front of the paywall. And, and one of the things that we developed, gosh, almost 20 years ago, for example, is the part of the PVI, the partisan voting index, where we were looking for a way to, uh, look at the, the relative partisanship of each of the individual congressional districts and compare them across four and 35. And so it was to take the, um, presidential, two party presidential vote, 
for the last two uh, presidential elections averaged together and how each how it de- deviates from the national norm. And, you know, it's not a perfect way, but it's probably it's the best we've seen yet of uh, how do you compare, uh, you know, how do you compare how tilted a district might be um, um, compared to another one? And um, seen state organizations that have actually started applying that same formula to uh, state legislative races. Mm-hmm. So, which, uh, um, so we're we're uh, we're doing our best. We we uh, um, and and I expect this thing is going to continue on long after I'm gone. You've got a great team over there. I'm a huge fan of Dave Wasserman's work, and uh, so you've, you've you've assembled a wonderful team. That's right. Well, and I, I have to say, just to put in, we have a. I, I'm very proud of our team, but I have to say that uh, Stu Rothenberg and Nathan Gonzalez are very, very good over there, and Larry Sabato has put together a really terrific team down in Charlottesville. So, you know, those are. You know, I can look at what 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 they write, and when we agree, I feel more comfortable. And when we disagree, I take a second look because, uh, you know, if, if Stu Stu and Nathan are saying one thing, we're saying something else. You know, hell, there's a fifty fifty chance they're right. You know, so it, it keeps everybody it keeps everybody on their toes to have good good competition. That's and right. uh, so. Anyway, but uh, I think this is a this is a, a I think you guys are doing a great job. This is awesome. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Well, thank you. That's so nice. We're of you. so glad you were willing to come on the show today. This has been a real treat. Uh, any 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 time. Let's do it again sometime next year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Charlie. We really appreciate it. All right. Have a great holiday, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters. Margie's at at Margie O'Meara and I'm at K. Anderson. We're on Facebook where we'll be posting throughout the week polls that we find that we think are interesting to our listeners. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, whichever podcatcher you choose and make sure you're writing reviews if you like the show. Um, tweet us feedback. We're trying to always make tweaks and improvements to the show based on what you think. Have a good week. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS, wireless, figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.